Confederate General Robert E. Lee retired from the military, he was named president of Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. And the university was originally named Washington University. That was because George Washington had given a $50,000 gift to establish uh, this university, and so it was named after him. And in case you're wondering, how much was $50,000 and uh, about that time in the late uh, 70s? It would have been about $1.5 million. And uh, so that, that was quite a gift. And the name of the school was changed to Washington and Lee University in honor of Robert E. Lee, who served as its president from 1865 to 1870. And while Lee was president of the university, a student came into Lee's office and asked for a copy of the school's rules and regulations. And Lee replied that the school had no printed rules. He said, our only rule is kindness. Kindness. How great is that? Kindness is certainly something good to live by. If we all lived in a life of kindness to others, what a different world this would be. What a different country we would have. What if everybody paid it forward by responding to one person's kindness by extending kindness to somebody else? What if everybody practiced random acts of kindness on a regular basis? The author Henry James said, three things in human life are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. The third is to be kind. And that would certainly be a great rule to live by, wouldn't it? But what if all the Christian life could be summed up in one rule, one thing? What if all that it means to live as a Christian in relationship to other people could be summed up in one rule? And of course, it has been. It has been. And in the second chapter of his epistle, you don't need to turn to it, James calls it the royal law. Literally, it could be read the law of our king. The eighth verse of James chapter 2 reads, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law or the law of our king, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. The apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled up in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This one rule, this one royal law pretty much covers it all in how we act as Christians, how we treat other people, how we respond to people when we are mistreated. And it even hits at the heart of our attitudes toward paying taxes, as we will see, and honoring our governing authorities. Love holds the key to all these things because it fulfills the law of God. So please look once again at Romans chapter 13, the eighth verse. In verses 8 through 10 of Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul gives us three results, as it were, by living by the royal law. When you love others as yourself, these three things happen. This is what love for others produces. In verse 8, we will see that because you love you pay your taxes. In verses 9 and 10, because you love, you do no one harm. And in verse 10, we see that because you love, you fulfill the law of God. So first of all, because you love, you pay your debts. You pay your debts. Verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Owe nothing to anyone. Now, it's been said that owe nothing to anyone except to love one another means that Christians should never incur debt. 
that they should never go into debt. And there is no doubt that debt is a huge problem in our society. It's a huge problem in our government and people's lives. Uh, debt does and can destroy people's lives, their livelihoods. Debt often puts people under a terrible burden that they can never get out from under. And debt ends up controlling their every decision and, and how they live. But the issue here for Paul is not whether debt itself is right or wrong. The issue is why the debt was incurred. Why the debt was incurred. You see, neither the Old Testament or the New Testament categorically forbids borrowing or lending. Now, I'm going to run through a ton of scripture passages here in the next few minutes, so don't worry about keeping up. Hopefully, they're all listed in your, your outline this morning. I think they are, so you can look them up later. But in, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, we have something that the Lord says to his people, and he says, If you lend, to, lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are to not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. So it's obvious from this verse that the Lord allowed lending and borrowing. The moral issue involved here was charging interest or what's called usury. Usury is exorbitant interest. You know, intro, you know this whole idea of compound interest today, that would fit under the biblical standard of usury. If you loan money to the poor, he says, don't charge interest. And then in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35, it says, Now in case a countryman of yours becomes poor, and this his means with regard to you falter, that is, you know, somehow he can't pay you back, or, or somehow, you know, he's not keeping up his end, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take you serious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. Don't take advantage of the poor people among you by charging them interest or food for gain or charging them for the food. You know, you wouldn't charge them for the food that you would give them. I, I'd certainly hope not. Don't charge them interest if you loan them something. They're going to have a hard enough time paying it back, and it's, it's morally reprehensible to enslave them under the debt. Did you know there are twice as many payday lenders in the United States than there are McDonald's restaurants? There are 23,000 lenders who are targeting many different Americans who are in trouble in their finances. Charging an exorbitant interest rate, the average interest rate is between 15 and 20 percent. We'll be driving in Boise or someplace, and I'll see one of those places, and I said, and I'll say to Jan, they should never be allowed to put that where it is, because you know that it's, you know, and in some, some localities, they've zoned it so they can't be in certain, in certain areas. But, but according to Forbes magazine, while rates vary depending on state regulations, a typical two-week payday loan carries a fee of $10 to $30 for every $100 borrowed, according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Even a low-end fee of $15 per $100 works out to an annual interest rate of 400%. But payday loans are often not repaid after two weeks. Instead, in those states that permit it, the loans are often rolled over with a new charge. Three-fourths of all payday loans are taken out by borrowers who have taken out 11 or more loans in the past year. And most of them are taken out within two weeks of repaying a previous one. A cycle begins. 
What started out as a $200 short-term loan can balloon into a $1,000 or more payback by the time the consumer wriggles their way out of paying their debt. And such is what happens with usurious interest. But there is nothing inherently wrong with legitimate borrowing and lending. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, the God, God warned his people against giving a loan to a fellow countryman because a sabbatical year was near. Remember what a sabbatical year was? Every seven years, all loans were to be forgiven. The total amount of the loan, not just the interest or anything like that, the total amount. And so God is warning his people here because, say, it's, it's November of a certain year, and their calendar, of course, is different, and January, the sabbatical year begins. And so, no, I'm not going to loan that guy money because, you know, at the first of the year, I, I have to forgive him the entire debt. You know, he still may, on a $1,000 loan, still owe me $900. And you have to forgive the whole thing. And so there's that tendency. And, and the Lord is saying, don't do that. And so in uh, chapter 15 of Deuteronomy, verse 10, the Lord promised the unselfish and generous lender that you shall generously give to him, even if a sabbatical year is coming up, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Remember, even the Lord Jesus said, the poor will be with us always. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your, need, to your needy, and the poor in your land. In Proverbs 19, verse 17 adds, One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. In other words, you're lending to the poor man. You're giving it to the poor man, but you're lending it to the Lord. You know, how does the Lord take that? He will repay for the good deed. When you are gracious to a poor man and lend without charging interest and not really requiring payback, you're actually lending to the Lord, and he will repay you for every good deed. God will bless you in however he chooses for your gracious generosity. And from these passages and many others that we could look at, it's obvious that lending and borrowing were common and legitimate practices in the Old Testament. Well, what about in the New Testament? What about in the New Testament? Well, we go to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. And Jesus here gives tacit approval of borrowing and commands potential lenders, in verse 42, give to him who asks of you. If they ask, you give. And do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And then when we go over to Luke chapter 6, verse 35, we see the blessing that the Lord promised in this. A reward for lending and expecting nothing in return. You know, there are at least 14 verses in the Bible where we are to give to somebody without expecting anything in return. In fact, there's one proverb that says, even when you lend something to your neighbor, give it to him like you're never going to get it back. How American or un-American <laughs> is that? And this is one of those where the Lord says, verse 35, But love your enemies and do good, and land expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. 
for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Isn't that neat? The kindness of God to ungrateful and evil men still flows through us. It still flows through us, the kindness of God. And then in the realm of business, as you know, apart from giving to the poor and needy, Jesus approved of financial borrowing for the purpose of investment. In the parable of the talents, which we find in Matthew chapter 25, verse 27, the master highly commended the two servants who had wisely invested his money while he was out of the country. But he strongly rebuked the unfaithful servant who merely buried the money entrusted to him. And the master said to him, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. Literally, it says, you ought to put my money to the bankers. That's what it says, literally. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. We know that's just the way economies work, and they've worked probably that way from the history of time. Many businesses cannot operate and could not operate without borrowing money to invest in such things as buildings, equipment, raw materials. In fact, the rule of thumb is that a new business needs at least two years of capital before it even opens its doors. And because it takes that long before the, the cash flow is such that they can begin to really pay back their loans and everything else. Many farmers could not plant new crops without borrowing money. And ranchers cannot buy cattle or get them vaccinated, you know, until the harvest comes, as it were. So, and many families, most families in our country could never afford to buy a home without taking out a mortgage. So what does it mean in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, as we go back to that? Owe nothing to anyone except to love another. Owe nothing to anyone. Is it saying you can't ever borrow money? No, it's saying if you have borrowed money, you pay it back when it's due. You pay it back when it's due, when the debt comes due. In fact, we see this in verse 7 of this 13th chapter. When the taxes come due, verse 7, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due. In other words, if you have a house payment due on the first of the month, you pay it by the first of the month, right? If you have another utility bill due on the 15th of the month, you pay it by the 15th of the month. Because if you carry it over, it's like post-dating a check, as it were. You're using somebody else's money for your operation. Well, I need that money, so I'm not going to pay it. Well, you're using their money at that point. Don't, do not use somebody else's money for your own good. Because you love, you pay your debts. Because you love, you pay your debts. Paul goes on in verse 8 to say, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Okay, this is the debt of love. Oh, nothing except the debt of love. You see, unlike other debts, love is a debt we can never pay off. I don't know about you, but when I pay the monthly bills, or at least my part of the monthly bills, Jan pays most of them right now, I always have a sigh of relief that it's done for another month. You know, and I thank God for his provision. I stop and thank him, and I'm at rest about it for at least a few days more, right? <laughs> most of the time. But love is different. There's no point where you have paid it off. Love is a debt we are constantly to pay against but it can never be completely paid off. The early church father Origen said, 
The debt of love remains with us permanently and never leaves us. This is a debt we pay every day and forever owe. But here's the good news. The good news. By our Lord's gracious provision, love is a debt that we always have the resources in Christ through his Holy Spirit to pay. And which the more we pay toward it, the more willing and joyous that payment is going to be. Remember what John tells us in his first letter, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he loved us first. In Christ, we are given the capacity to love others as he has loved us. Remember, this was the substance of the new commandment. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. Even as I have loved you, you shall love one another. Jesus raised the bar on the old commandment big time. The old commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. That's still a high bar. Now we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. We are to love one another sacrificially. The old commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you would do to love yourself and meet your own needs, do that for others. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and how we are to love one another. So, first of all, we really want to look at that Old Testament law because here it says love is the fulfillment of that law. And, of course, the example that our Lord Jesus used was the Good Samaritan who bound up the wounds of the injured man. So, please turn over to Luke, Luke chapter 10. The 30th verse. In the 10th chapter of Luke, a teacher of the law, they're called a lawyer in Scripture, but they're not the kind of lawyers that we think of. They're not civil lawyers. They are religious lawyers. They are teachers of the law, the commandments of God. A teacher of the law had asked Jesus what he should do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus responded to him, what does the law say? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. Feel the song coming back up. Love the Lord your God. And and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said, do this and live. Now, the teacher of the law wanted to justify himself. You know, he felt pretty good about how he was loving his neighbor. He'd done all everything that was required. He assumed that his neighbor might only be those that he chooses to love or are worthy of his love, if he's a typical teacher of the law at that time. So he self-righteously asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he thought Jesus is going to justify him at this point. Well, your neighbor is such and such. You go, yeah, I really did a good job on that. And your neighbor is this and, you know, and those kind of things. Uh, It didn't go that way for this guy. We pick it up in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. And Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. Also a Levite, and he came to the place and saw him and passed on the other side. The help for the injured man is going to come from the most unlikely source. A Samaritan, a race of people that the Jews hated, hated, hated. Verse 33, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now watch how the Samaritan loves the injured man as he loves himself. 
how he fulfills the law. As Jesus said, this is the way it works. Verse 34, And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Now, notice what Jesus asked the teacher of the law. He doesn't ask, so who is your neighbor? That was the question the lawyer had asked. Who's my neighbor? Jesus doesn't say, well, from this, who is your neighbor? As if we have to determine whether a person's a neighbor or not. To see if we're supposed to love them. If they're a neighbor, we love them. If they're a neighbor, we help them. If they're a neighbor, we take care of them. No. Look at what Jesus did ask. Verse 36. And he said to him, Oh, no, verse 36. Which of these three do you think, now note these words, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? The point is not who is my neighbor. The point is who do I prove to be a neighbor to? Who do I prove to be a neighbor to? And the lawyer answered, he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. In other words, if you do the same, you fulfill the law. But as we talked about, when it came to loving fellow believers, Jesus raised the bar big time. We're to love one another as Christ loved us. Jesus Christ gave up his life for us. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Husbands are to love their wives how? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, the greatest test of love is the willingness to sacrifice our own needs and sacrifice our own welfare for the sake of others, even to the point of sacrificing life, if necessary. Greater love hath no man than this, Jesus said, than one lays down his life for his friends. The Apostle John adds, or Apostle John adds, you don't need to turn to it in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 16, We know love by this. How do we know love? That Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But how can we love in such a righteous and selfless way? How can we love in such a sacrificial way? How can we love in such a way that we prove to be a neighbor? I want to read what John MacArthur says about this. He wrote, We must keep in mind that our gracious Heavenly Father provides His children every resource they need to obey His commands and to follow His example. We are divinely enabled to pay our great debt of love because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Romans 5.5 He continues, God's own love is the inexhaustible well from which, as it were, we can draw this out the supernatural love he commands us to live by. Unquote. As a Christian, the love of God, how much God's love? All of God's love, because that's the love of God. The love of God has been poured into us, into our heart, and that happens the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and received him for the forgiveness of your sin. The Holy Spirit came to live in you and the Holy Spirit poured out all of God's love into you. So what, is, what are the implications of this? 
you know, we all have those difficult people in our lives, and you've probably prayed this, Father, help me to love that person. Okay, you have to admit that, right? <laughs> I really need to love that person. Give me more love for that person. Well, what? God has already given you the love for that person. All you have to do is let it out. Let it out. You don't have to pray for more love for another person. What you should do is ask God, God, help me to let it out the way you have loved me. You just need to let it out. That is how you pay the debt of love. Because of Christ's love for us, we owe that debt. That's how we pay it. We extend Christ's love. So first of all, because you love, you pay your debts, including your taxes. And secondly, because you love, you do no one harm. Verse 9 of Romans chapter 13. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any, any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. The idea of this scripture is because we love others, we will do them no wrong. We will do them no harm. And Paul gives a listing of four commandments from the Ten Commandments to show us that love fulfills, as he says, all the commandments. And he speaks of the commandments as being summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is not abstract love. Oh, I try to love all people. You know, we're sitting at the kitchen, the kitchen table, you know, in the morning for breakfast with our wives and those kind of things. And I don't read the paper in the morning, but... A lot of husbands do. You know, they're reading the paper, and the wife asks, you know, do you love me? And he looks over, of course I love you. He puts the paper back up. <laughs> you know, the kind of love here that Paul is talking about is loving people that we encounter on a daily basis, that we come into contact. If we truly love people like we're supposed to, the examples he gives here, we will not commit adultery or lust after someone. We will not murder anyone or fight with them. We will not steal from them or cheat from them, cheat them. We will not be envious of them for what they have, and I don't have. You see, it's easy to love somebody in an abstract way, but Paul wants his readers to love people they actually meet day by day, called their neighbors, their neighbors with all their faults, the difficult people that we come across and in our lives, the you know, the, the people that it seems like they, they never, never treat us right or anybody else right. You know, there's a wonderful book called The Crazy Makers in Your Life. You know who those are. You know, the people that just drive you, just drive you crazy and those kind of things. The people who run into the store, the, the people who are in need, even the people who are needy. You see, love is something that takes place at the grocery store. It takes place in the restaurant takes place in the workshop, in the factory. It takes place in the park. It takes place at the beach. It takes place wherever we meet people. It takes place where believers are gathered together. Love does no wrong or harm to a neighbor. And Paul gives us a, a really interesting way to apply this here because in applying this to how we pay the debt of love to everyone that we meet, we understand that all debt pain is love pain. All debt pain is love pain. I base this on 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, that says, Let all that you do be done in love. Let everything you do be done in love. Everything that you do. In other words, love is not a special category. 
well, I'm doing this right now, and this is what I am doing. You know, okay, now that I go back over here, oh, now I, I paid the debt of love, and I've loved somebody because I'm in a different situation or a different place. No, all debt pain is love pain. In other words, we don't have a special category uh, of love. In other words, do you owe honor to somebody? Verse 7 says, render honor to whom honor is due. The question is, do you do it in love? All debt pain is love, all love pain is debt pain, and vice versa. In other words, every act of honoring somebody should be done in love. It's not easy, and it doesn't sound easy because it's not. <laughs> you know, but do you, the, do you owe the IRS a payment? I do. Got a wonderful extension until June 15th, I think is what it is right now. But uh, yeah, I owe them money. They've, they've been gracious, as it were, and said, okay, June 15th is, is the new date to get that in. You know, but come June 15th, I'm going to either have to ask for an extension or I'm going to have to write the check. Do I write the check with a gloomy, resentful, anxious, irritated spirit? Or do I write the check in love? I like what John Piper says about this. When you ask, how can I act in love when I write a check to the IRS? I don't even know anybody at the IRS. Well, he's more blessed than I am. Because <laughs> I've talked to people at the IRS. And you still, yeah, anyway, we won't go there. He says, be careful lest your understanding of love be far short of what Paul means by love. Listen to Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and see if you can apply it to writing the check to the IRS. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Piper continues, I think every time we pay any bill or any debt or return anything we have borrowed, we show whether we are a loving person by whether we do it without envy. That is, envy of people who don't have to pay what we have to pay. And without arrogance, because we think those tax laws are stupid. And with joy in the truth that we have been meticulously honest and with glad willingness to bear and endure any hardship required by what? Doing what is right. Isn't that good? Do you have a mortgage payment due? Just don't write the check just because you'll get in trouble if you don't or just because the Bible says to pay your debts. Write your mortgage check in love. I'm thankful for, for lenders and mortgage companies right now because even though they've been a real frustration over the last two months as we've been refinancing the house and gone through at least three different lenders and Every time we got to a certain point, they signed the wrong title company and all those kind of things. But if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have the warm, comfortable, beautiful home that we live in right now. Can we write it in love? Have you borrowed a book from the library and you've had it so long you're embarrassed to take it back and you're getting those cards in the mail? I assume they still do that. It's been a long time since I've been in an actual library. But I know what it's like to keep a book too long at a seminary when six other other seminarians are needing that same resource and you have it too long, you know, you're really in big trouble. You know, it's only second to plagiarism. They say plagiarism is the only unpardonable sin at Dallas Theological Seminary. I think getting a resource and not getting it back might be the second behind that. You know, 
You're embarrassed to take it back. Well, humble yourself and act in love. What it means is, when you get there, don't take it out on the librarian who's just doing what she needs to do. When you write your check at the grocery store or use your debit card, don't take out your frustration on the clerk. Do you write your check in love? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. You see, the point is not who is my neighbor. The point is to whom have I proved to be a neighbor? To whom have I proved to be a neighbor? Because, and because we love, we fulfill the law. Verse 10 of Romans chapter 13. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Everything in the law and the commandments of God can be summed up in two ways. Love God and love your neighbor. That's it. Love God and love your neighbor. That's the fullness of the law. And in these days of pandemic, a lot of neighbors need a lot of love, don't they? They need a lot of care. And what kind of neighbors will we prove to be? People have lost their jobs. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay their mortgages. Businesses and stores and restaurants are beginning to open up this weekend here in Idaho. In order to be a safe place for people to gather, they'll, they'll have to maintain physical distancing and sanitation protocols. That You read that list. I was just reading it, what it is for churches the other day. And, you know, it's, it's several pages long and, and those kind of things. Uh, employees will be asked to wear masks. Individuals are asked to wear masks in public places. And, uh, you know, the question is, what kind of neighbors will we prove to be as the Church of Jesus Christ? What kind of neighbors will we prove to be to vulnerable people who could very well suffer and die if they are infected by COVID-19? You see, these days, with all that it is, give us as the Church of Jesus Christ the opportunity to show the love of Christ in ways that we wouldn't have the opportunity to do otherwise, right? The greatest test of love is the willingness to sacrifice its own interest for the sake of others. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to do? What kind of neighbors will we prove to be in order that people will be loved by us and in doing so we will pay that love debt that we owe to Jesus Christ? And we will pay it, he will pay it through us, the kindness and the love through us. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, these are tough times and people are going through things that are just unimaginable to us four months ago. We could never have imagined where our country would be, where our world would be, where the Treasure Valley, this beautiful place that we are blessed to live in, where it would be, Lord. And Father, I pray that as, as believers in Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would make us sensitive to the needs of others, Father, in a way that uh, many people not only will come to salvation in Jesus Christ and faith in him, Father, but when we are getting through this, that many people will be able to say, it was the love of a Christian that got me through this. It was the love of a Christian that met my deed when I needed that man. Father, we thank you 
for this time that you have presented to us as the church of Jesus Christ, that we might be the church of Jesus Christ in this troubled and hurting word. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.